The reading for today is taken from two passages. First, we'll be reading from 1 Kings 8, the verses 22 to 30. 1 Kings 8, the verses 22 to 30. And you'll be able to find that on page 396 of your book of praise. After which we will be reading from 1 Peter 2, the verses 1 to 10. 1 Kings 8, the verses 22 to 30. Solomon has just finished constructing this beautiful, this glorious temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. And now they are having their inaugural service at this temple. We read there, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place here in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. We'll now move forward to 1 Peter. The first epistle of Peter. We'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, the verses 1 to 10. And you'll be able to find that on page 1391. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. As newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous lights, who were once not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The word of God. The text for today is taken from verses 4 to 6 of this passage. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, imagine for a moment that you are walking down the streets of modern-day Jerusalem. You are busy traveling between the buildings up the narrow corridors. And as you make your way up towards the Temple Mount, you see over the city the Dome of the Rock, with light gleaming off it in the early morning sun. You see minarets stretching up to heaven. And you see, hear the sound of the Muslim call to prayer, calling all of the faithful Muslims to do their daily prayers to Allah. It wasn't always this way in Jerusalem. 3,000 years ago, it would have been radically different. For us who look at it today, who look at this passage today, we might not understand the fullness of what Peter is speaking of. But it would have been very vividly clear in the minds of the people of Israel. 3,000 years ago, Solomon was standing on the steps in the temple, and he was lifting up his heart in prayer to God. The people gathered together there would have seen the glory of the temple that Solomon had built, with pillars of bronze and with walls covered in gold sheets, a floor that had a sheet of gold over top of it as well. And if they looked carefully, they'd be able to see the beauty of the woven cloth in the back. Moving forward to Peter's day, he would have seen a temple which in some ways was even more grand, the temple of Herod. Herod had built his temple specifically to be even bigger than Solomon's temple. And it was a structure that towered over the city of Jerusalem, every other building there. For the Jews, this language of the temple would have been familiar. It would have been precious. The temple was close to the heart of the Jews because of what it symbolized, God dwelling on earth with them. This was the background from which Peter was writing. Now, up to this point in his letter, Peter has described the believers in, uh, in the churches of modern-day Turkey who received his letters as pilgrims. They were wanderers here for a time, but slowly and surely moving towards a heavenly destination. They were heirs, he says, legally bought with the precious blood of Christ, 
and now part of the family of God. And with each of these, he brings out a new joy that their faith allows them to take part in. Today, he switches gears, directing their eyes to something that would have been up until recently, especially for many of the Jews, very precious to them. He calls them living stones of a heavenly temple, and he brings their mind to yet another privilege that is theirs in Jesus Christ. They are a part of God's temple, God's house. And that's the theme that we will be looking at today. God's house. We'll see, first of all, the temple, and second, the cornerstone. The temple of the Old Testament people of God was something that was completely unique to the people of their day. Yes, they had other nations around them who had their gods and they had their temples. We can read about the temple of Dagon, for example, which was destroyed by the warrior judge Samson in Judges 16, verse 23. We can read about many other temples and many other gods that the people around Israel worshipped. But in many of these cases, the temple to the local God was only one of many centers of worship that was scattered around the nations. The cult spread across the country so that the people would be able to conveniently come to their local God and to offer sacrifices up to him. We read in passages like 1 Kings 14 how altars and places of worship were found under every spreading tree and on every high hill. But with the God of Israel, life was very different. Now some did build temples elsewhere to the God of Israel. We find evidence in in archaeology of this at the locations of Leontopolis and Elephantine, for example, both cities in Egypt, where they attempted to build a temple to God. We can see that in the temple that the Samaritans built on Mount Gerizim, saying that there was the only place to worship the Most High God. But none of these other temples were considered to be the true temple of God by most of the Jewish world. The overwhelming consensus of the Jews could be wrapped up into this one phrase written by the historian Josephus. We have but one temple for one God. Now why was this the case? It was because God had commanded it to be the case. God had only ever chosen one place of worship at a time for his people. He had only ever chosen one holy city. He had only ever asked for the building or rebuilding of one temple at a time, the temple in Jerusalem. Now to build a temple for God was to make a huge statement. It was saying, God, you who created heaven and earth and who uphold it, we insignificant human beings, we want to lay claim to you. And we've built this temple for you, the infinite God, to live in. And if you look at it in that way, it really makes you question, does this do him justice? How could mankind ask such a thing? It's almost ridiculous to consider it if you consider the vastness of the infinity of God and this temple in one place. 
Solomon himself highlights this when he prays, There is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you. Behold, the heaven of heavens cannot continue, how much less this temple that I've built. And yet God allowed it to be built for him. He allowed a temple to be built to mark the special relationship that God had with his people. A temple in that place and no other, setting aside the people of Israel from every other nation on earth. Now compare this to the temple of the gods that were around for a moment. If you had a god that you wanted to worship in a different location, in a different country, say you wanted to build a temple to Dagon, you could go out to your backyard and you could start building. And then you could carve an idol and overlay it in precious metals. But that wasn't the case for the God of Israel. He was not a God that could be exported. He was a God who found his home in the nation of Israel. So that anybody who wanted to worship him would have to come from all of the surrounding areas to Israel, to this temple, to this location, marking to the world that God had chosen for himself a people. God is a covenant God. He is a God who, for reasons that nobody can understand, apart from the sovereign good pleasure of his will, has chosen for himself a people and chosen to establish a relationship with them. Heaven cannot contain him, and yet the God who cannot be contained chose to tie himself to a place bound in time on earth. And this is what that one temple for one God symbolized. This is incredible, and it's something beyond which we can imagine. This is what Peter was speaking about as he looked back on the temple that he had worshipped in as well. But Peter says it gets even better than this. Consider what we just heard about with regards to King Solomon and his temple. And now compare that to what we read in our passage here in 1 Peter 2 verse 5 today. So King Solomon and his temple, it was in one location at, uh, at one time. But here he says, you, all of you as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. To consider how amazing this is. Think about the splendor of Solomon's temple for a moment. Imagine how it must have looked with precious woods overlaid with gold and silver, intricately carved pieces of furniture and professionally woven curtains of the finest wool. It was a thing of beauty in Israel. It was a thing of beauty in Israel. But not even that could measure up. And Solomon recognized that. Peter here is drawing our attention, on the other hand, to a temple that God himself builds and he builds it out of his people. You would think, since God himself builds the temple, would his standard not then be higher than that of Solomon? Consider how amazing this revelation would have been to the people that he's writing to. They are average people, just like you and me. 
in, the con- in their congregations. But he calls them living stones. What would you think if you were the one who was building a temple? What would your standards be? Would you say, you know what? This is a really beautiful person. I think they would make a great piece of decoration in the temple. That person's a great organizer. They would make a good stone for the window arch over there. And you know what? This person is, is really solid. They would make a good part of the floor to stand on. They are a solid character. But what does God say in response to this? He doesn't look at the people who are beautiful. He doesn't look at the people who are the super organizers to struggle to, to uh, put together his temple. Rather, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 and following, we read, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of this world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh could glory in his presence. This was the reality that Peter was showing to the people to whom he was writing. Praise God. Because he doesn't just limit himself to the cream of the crop. In his infinite mercy, he chooses people like you and like me. He makes out of us one temple that spans the borders of space and time. A temple made up of people from every tongue and language and tribe and nation. Tongue and people and tribe and nation. Beloved, you may not think much of yourself. You might think, I'm nothing compared to the beauty that was Solomon's temple. And yet God himself says, no, that's wrong. God himself says, you are precious to me. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you are, as it says in verse 19 of 1 Peter 2, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. You are precious to him. I think that we, especially in this age of people who measure so much of their worth by their looks, by the outward appeal that they have, lose sight of this. We live in an age where it seems people judge each other and they judge themselves by their personal success, by, their, by what they've watched or by what they eat. I can't say how many times I've heard young people say, you haven't seen that movie? You haven't read that book? You haven't watched that TV show? If you admit to the fact that you haven't, people will look at you like you're crazy. Talking to each other in this way makes people incredibly insecure. And young people will sometimes think that in order to fit in, they have to stay on top of sports, watch the movies that all of those other people are doing, do their hair and makeup in line with what everyone else is doing this year. It doesn't matter if it changes next year again. They need to stay current. And it's not just young people who struggle with that either. It's also adults. Not being the the teacher, the employee, the the boss, the elder, or the pastor. 
that they believe other people want them to be. Everybody struggles with that to a certain extent. And it's a strong person who isn't affected by it at all. Now, I I don't want you to look at this and feel like you're falling short somehow, like you've given in to social pressures and you're just not strong enough. Again, instead of that, instead of thinking of it in that way, I want you to look back on this passage and consider what it means for you. Consider what God has said about his temple. In the Old Testament, God did not disagree with Solomon that even though this temple was decked out in silver and gold, it was still less than what God himself was worthy of. Heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built, Solomon says. And it was true. But God still chose it as a symbol of his dwelling among his people. He chose it as a symbol of his decision to choose them as his special people. It was less than perfect. And yet he made it his own, not because of something that his people had done, but because he wanted to establish a relationship with his people. And in the New Testament, it goes a step further. He doesn't just accept a building that is made for him, that people strive to put together out of the best quality of human beings. No. He builds it himself. He's turned his own people into that temple. People who aren't the best, people who are chosen from among the base things of this world, the despised things of this world. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how you look. It doesn't matter if you've never played the last call of duty or if you've gotten a raise as recently as the other people that you know in church. It doesn't matter if you struggle with depression, anxiety, or illness. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you have been chosen as a living stone. Chosen as part of a building that is precious to God, not just because of how it looks, but because of what it represents. It's an abiding symbol that represents a God who is with his people because he chooses to be with them. So in light of that, we're not called to look at how we give in to social pressure and think, what a failure I am again. No, we're called to look at that and to look at all of our failures, our shortcomings, to acknowledge them, to recognize them, and to think how amazing it is that God still chooses someone like me. Do you have anybody like that in your life? Someone who loves you and cares you, even knowing everything about you. Someone for you who, for whom you don't have to present a front. Maybe you don't, maybe you do. But this is God. He knows more about you than even your closest friend or companion does. And yet he still chooses you. He sees you as precious, as valuable. Precious enough to become part of that most sacred place of worship to him, united together with other believers, in order that you may be changed. But why is this the case? And this brings us to our second point, the cornerstone. 
The question of why God would live with us is one that we can reflect on. It's, it's one that has its roots going right back to Solomon's day. Solomon prayed that this God who was infinite, who could not be seen, would choose to dwell among his people, would choose to reveal himself in a special way here in Solomon's temple, in the Holy of Holies, in the innermost sanctuary. Why should he listen? He did. He did listen, and we see how the whole temple was filled with his glory, if you read further on in 1 Kings. But why was this the case? He did this in response to Solomon's prayer. Not because of anything Solomon had done. Not because the people were any better than any other nation on earth. Deuteronomy 7 verse 7, he says, in fact, you weren't better than any other nation on earth. But he did this because of his own promise. On the basis of his own sovereign choice of David's line. What a magnificent thing this was for Solomon. That God himself would choose to answer his prayer on the basis of his promise. Now Peter points out that we have even more than the Old Testament people of God. Because even though God had done something incredible by coming down to man and and dwelling among them, and even though he had revealed himself to them in this way, there was still a barrier between the people of God and God himself. The temple itself was a symbol that they could look at of that barrier. They could come to the temple, but then in order to be found acceptable before God, they would need to interact with the priests who were the mediators, the go-betweens. And so even the sign of God's blessing was a sign that there was still something between them and God. The temple was a glorious thing, but it was still very limited. When Jesus came, That all changed. Jesus suffered and died on the cross as a sacrifice for the sins of his people. And with that action, the world forever changed for those who believe in him. God fulfills his promise to Jesus Christ for all those whom Jesus Christ has been given. We don't have a temple that stands empty, marking that there still stands a separation between us and God. We don't have a priesthood that offers sacrifices on our behalf. We have Jesus who offered himself up as a sacrifice once and for all. And this is why God is willing to dwell among us and in us. We've moved into an age in which we have a new temple, an age in which Jesus Christ makes up the cornerstone of that temple. The cornerstone in ancient buildings was the first stone that was set in the construction of the foundation. It was important since all of the other stones were set in reference to that stone. The position of this stone would would determine the position of the entire structure. By describing Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, God is using a word picture. He says, we have a a temple now that is founded on one person, Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, all of the other stones are set in reference to him. All of the other people are placed in the temple in reference to Jesus Christ. 
just as the cornerstone determines the position of the entire structure, so Jesus' person and work determines the position of all of his people in the eyes of God. God looks at us with incredible love, and he does that because Jesus Christ is part of that foundation. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of that foundation. Now, the very nature of building this heavenly temple still has an impact on us. It has a further impact on us. Being placed in reference to Christ means that as we are being placed in reference to Christ, we're also being brought together. Individuals of every stripe, every background, and every experience. And this is something that we may not always consider as we look at the fact that we're built in relation to Christ. Are you prepared for this? There will be people in the church that you don't get along with. There may be people from outside of the church who come and who are being brought in who are very different from you. There will be those sitting beside you in the pew that will have a completely different view from you on many different things around worship, politics, child-rearing, culture, language, and much, much more. The church is not a country club for people who are the same. The church is made up of sinners who are chosen by the grace of God and brought together to be laid as stones in the heavenly temple in relation to Christ. We've not arrived yet. The work is not finished. As we read in 1 Peter, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. The building is ongoing. The stones have already been chosen, yes, and they are being brought to the temple, but the work of building is ongoing. We come as we are to the temple in order that we may be changed. These stones are being cut, shaped, and formed to be placed in relation to Jesus Christ as our cornerstone. We're not perfect yet, and so we can't expect those around us to be perfect either. In fact, we need to expect that there will be those around us who come among us who will be rough around the edges. These are the kinds of people we ex need to expect, and we need to pray that Christ will bring into contact with us. And so we strive to be united in love and obedience together with them under Christ. To become his image bearers in the world and to live our lives in relation to him. Just as we are found in our position before Christ in relation to him. We do this gathered together with other imperfect people whom we love despite the fact that they need as much work as we do. We love each other because we're all being brought together to be in line with the cornerstone who is Christ. And as this happens, something beautiful takes place. We become a holy priesthood. Each and every single one of us becomes united together in bringing worship and praise to the one who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verses 9 to 11. You are chosen as a special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of his darkness into his wonderful light. This is what you do as a priesthood who were once not a people but are now the people of God who had once not obtained mercy but have now obtained mercy. 
verses 9 to 10, sorry. This is all due to the fact that Jesus Christ is our Emmanuel, our God with us, our cornerstone. And so as we look back on this passage today, beloved, let us remember the promise that is tied to this new temple. This promise which is even better than the one in the old. Because in the promise that is tied to Solomon's temple is the promise that God will dwell with his people. But in Christ, not only does he live among us, but he lives in us as a church, being the one who brings us all together and turns us into God's house, the temple and the family of God. Amen.